I'm going to ask you a question before he puts the title of the sermon up there. That was a hint. I'm going to ask you to describe God with one word. Wait a minute, who said Love. 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 God is love. We're going to be, you know, that's been kind of a theme this morning is love. You know, we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And we know what is the greatest, the greatest fruit is love. You know, we can have all these amazing gifts. We can have the voice or the, the gift of prophecy and teaching and healing and all these things. But if it is without love, we're just a sounding gong, aren't we? Clanging cymbal. Uh, right, a clanging cymbal. Making noise. But it's love. God's love. And I truly believe that it's God's love is what motivated God to create the heavens and the earth. Amen. I believe it is God's love that motivated God to create man. He wanted to have that love relationship with man. I believe love is what motivates God to do all that He does for us. It is His love that motivated Him to send His Son. God's love. We're going to look at some of the different types of God's love this morning. You know, I, I truly believe that we should never tire of hearing about God's love. And as we was talking this morning, it is amazing that God chooses to, oftentimes, I know that God can do the supernatural and the divine, but He often chooses to use us to demonstrate His love. He'll demonstrate His love towards, towards others by using us. And sometimes we do mess up, don't we? But He still uses us. He is so long patient and suffering and kind towards us. Praise God for His amazing love. We're going to look, we're going to still in 1 John. And I'm back in 1 John chapter 4 again because we only did verses 1 through 6 last week. Verses 7 through 11. I know it's kind of a short passage for me. <laughs> Usually they're about 20 verses long. But don't fret, I have other long ones. <laughs> Laughter's good, right? Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another. Let that sink in for a moment before I move on. As I just said, He demonstrates His love for people through us sometimes, right? Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's like we can't do it if we don't know God. To me, that's what that's saying there. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Seems like Sabbath school always knits so nicely with what the sermon is going to be about. We ought to love one another. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we do give You praise and glory. And Father, we thank You for Your amazing love. 
And Father, I just pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to love as we ought to. Father, I know that we sometimes miss the mark, but Father, help us to keep trying. Keep trying, keep trusting you. Father, may we be faithful to allow your Spirit to just work in and through us mightily. Father, that you would just pour out your love for your children through us. Father, may the church be faithful to love. Father, I just pray that your Spirit would be in this place today, that you just bless us with your presence. And we just thank you, Father. Thank you for your amazing love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by talking about God's providential love. Now, if you look up the meaning of providential, the answer you're going to find is that it refers to the care exercised by God over the universe. His care over events, His care over circumstances. Sometimes we wonder if He's there in circumstances we're in, but He is always there. God's providential love is His care for us, watching over us all the time. And this type of God's love, my friends, is experienced by all people. Not just the church. It is experienced by all people. Whether they believe in God or not, they experience. Even those that are atheists, that deny Him, to say there is no God, they experience God's providential love. Because they experience the blessings of His creation. All the resources of His creation. They have breath, right? They have breath. Even those atheists have breath. They're breathing. So they are experiencing God's providential love because God is the one that's provided that breath for them. In Matthew 5, 43-45 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, isn't that a tough command? Amen. Those that spitefully use you, we're to pray for them, we're to love them. That's a hard one. We want to call fire down out of heaven and have God destroy them because of their wickedness. But we're to do that, so it says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. His rain falls on the land of the unjust farmer just the same as it falls on the land of the just farmer, does it not? In Genesis 2, verse 7, and then also in verse or chapter 7, verse 15. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So even that man, as I already said, that rejects God, that breath that he has is from God. You know, as I was pondering this, I thought of Cain and Abel. And we all know the story. We know that Cain and Abel prepared their sacrifice for God and God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. It was pleasing. He gave him the best and his heart was right. But God was displeased with Cain's sacrifice. It wasn't the best and his heart wasn't right. So Cain was jealous and angry because God rejected his sacrifice. So he killed his brother Abel. Took a rock and struck him and killed him. His blood is in the ground and cries out. 
But Cain says, it's too much, the punishment you give me. I'm going to look that up. It's in Genesis chapter 4. I think I might have had that mark. In Genesis chapter 4, it's not going to be on the screen, verses 13 and 14, 13 through 15. It says, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, my friends, he was disobedient. He was unfaithful. But yet, he experienced God's providential love. I'm going to put a mark on you to protect you. So even those who outright reject God still experience His providential love. Chapter 7, verse 15. It says, They and every beast after his kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort, and they went into the ark of Noah, ark to Noah, two by two, of all the fish, which is, which is the breath of life. My friends, every thing that has flesh, yeah, I said fish, didn't I? All flesh in which is the breath of life. Well, I really messed that up. Everything that has flesh that has the breath of life experiences, not just mankind, but experiences God's providential love. Every man. Do you have a pulse? Put your hand on your wrist there. Yeah, I hope you do. <laughs> if you have a pulse, you're experiencing God's providential love. It is experienced by all. And then there's God's saving love. And there is no greater passage that reveals God's saving love than John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever, it's not just saying for the Jew, not if the Jews look to him, but whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Why did he give his only begotten Son? Because He so loved the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him, so he who believes in the Son, believes in Jesus Christ, is not condemned. Big period at the end of that. You got that? Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. That your deeds may be done in God. 
You know, I said that all people experience God's providential love, but not all will experience God's saving love. Not because God withholds it from them, but because they refuse to receive it. They refuse it. They reject Christ. But for those who will receive His Son, they shall receive His forgiveness. It is available to all who will come. It is God's will that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But He has given each and every one of us our own free will. And this saving love, my friends, is not what we have done, but it is what He has done for us. He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. His love is so great, His saving love, that He made a way that we can be forgiven of our sins, our trespasses against Him. In Titus 3, verses 4-6, through 6, it says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. You get that? It's not by the works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Friends, our righteousness is a filthy rags. That doesn't mean we don't attempt to live holy and do what is pleasing unto Him, but our righteousness is like filthy rags. It is only His righteousness that will save each and every one of us. I found an illustration that demonstrates the love of God. It says, A certain medieval monk announced that he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, so remember this is medieval times, they didn't have lights, right? The congregation gathered in the darkness of the altar. The monk lighted a candle and carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. Next, he went to the two hands that were pierced. Then he took the light and shined it by the wound in the side where the spear had wounded Christ's side. And as a great hush fell over the congregation, he blew out the candle and he left the chancel. There was nothing else to say. Is it not true? There's nothing else to say. When we see that, and we realize it, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was despised and rejected by men. Does that not say it all? Does that not demonstrate God's awesome and amazing love? There is no greater example, no greater demonstration than what He gave His Son. Romans 5, 9-12 much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, 
and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Impossible that we could live the absolute perfect life and save ourselves. We might offer sacrifices as the Old Testament people did to remind us of our sins, but we could not save ourselves. Only He could do that for us. Now let's look at God's covenant love. We know what a covenant is, right? It is an agreement entered into by two or more persons or parties. It is a contract, if you will. Theologically speaking, it is a promise of God to bless those who obey Him, who are faithful to Him, who enter into covenant agreement with Him. Nehemiah 1 verse 5 says, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, You who keep covenant and mercy with those who love You and observe Your commandments. Those who love, Why do we keep His commandments? Because we love Him. Because He is love. You know the marriage covenant that men and women enter into, that we make before God and we make before the church, is a wonderful example of what a covenant is supposed to mean, right? We enter into marriage for better or for worse, richer for poorer, sickness and health, till death do us part, to remain faithful to one another. Is that not part of the marriage covenant, the agreement, right? Well, Glamour Magazine did a survey of men and they asked, which marriage vow, covenant, is the hardest to keep? 19% said that it was to love in sickness and in health. And another 19% said, uh, for richer or for poor. You know, if I'm not as rich as I thought they were, I'm leaving that dude, right? <laughs> I married him for his money and I found out he didn't have any, right? <laughs> but they say the toughest of all was to forsake all others. 60% of men said that is the hardest. So they're saying it is the hardest thing to be faithful to their wives, to be true to their wives. But my friends, when we take those marriage vows, that's what we're agreeing to do. To be faithful to our spouse. To have no other woman before us. To be true. God's covenant is very similar. We are to have no other God before thee. God's a jealous God. He doesn't want us out carousing and running around with false gods and idols. But we are to follow Him, to keep covenant with Him. God made a covenant promise with Abraham that He would bless him if he would leave his homeland and go to a place that He would show him. Why? Because there was false idols there. There was false gods. Come out and let me be your God. In Genesis 12, verse 1-3, through 3, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God made a covenant promise with Abraham to bless him if he was faithful to him. Did not worship these false gods. And in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And we were speaking of this in Sabbath school. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Those commandments, they're written here now on our hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. My friends, that's a wonderful promise there. When we believe on Christ, when we ask forgiveness of our sins, I will remember them no more, God says. But the devil wants to keep reminding us of our sins, doesn't he? Remember that sin you committed 25 years ago? Are you really forgiven? Well, yes, you are. Because God is faithful. Faithful to forgive us of our sins. So again, all will experience God's providential love. Those who believe in Christ will experience His saving love. Those who enter into covenant promise will experience that, that love. Jesus said in Luke 14.33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We have to be faithful to Him. We can't be like that 60% that have a hard time being faithful to the wise. We must be 100% faithful to God, true to Him. Have no other God before thee. God wants to enter into covenant love with you, with me. You know, I don't know, just maybe this goes along with this a little bit, but just been thinking so much lately that we, you know, maybe it's talking about the things of the world so much in Sabbath school. We need to hold very loosely to the things of this world. Very loosely. I think with each passing day, we need to let our grip be a little looser on the things of this world and hold a little bit tighter to God. That was just extra. Next is a love that most of us don't really appreciate and like so well, disciplinary love. I mean, who likes discipline? Come on. Force your hand up, right? Who likes discipline? Not many of us, but it's usually necessary whenever we experience discipline. What parent, if they saw their child out playing by the street on the busy highways, not going to discipline and tell them to get back in the yard? Right? You know, I heard this story a long time ago. This guy, others, his friends and neighbors thought that they were a little bit extreme, a little harsh with the way they discipline their children. But he said, we've taught our children that we say no, no means no. If we say stop, it means stop. There's not going to be up for debate. The child's not going to say, well, what if I don't want to? What if I don't want to stop? He said, because if we're out in the yard and they run, go to run across the street, and if we holler stop, our kids stop immediately. And they'll stop what? Well, there was a car coming. 
See, they just saved their child. But what about that kid that doesn't listen to mom and dad? They're going to ignore them and keep running out in the street, right? So we discipline our children. Why? For their own good. For their own safety. Because we love them. God disciplines us sometimes so we don't run out into the street. So it's often necessary. Hebrews 12, 7-11 says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. So as with sons or daughters, right? Mm -hmm. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. Yes, we mess up sometimes, right? As parents, as seemed best to them. But He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Right, we can ascribe to that. It's painful when we're experiencing it. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, it's not pleasant when we're going through it, but the end result yields fruit. I think of those that enter the military. Oftentimes, you know, they're, they're young, fresh out of high school many times. Sometimes they're spoiled brats. Sometimes they're unruly. Sometimes they've even been into legal trouble. I mean, I know a man that he had a choice. The judge says you either go into the military or you're going to jail. What do you want to do? He chose the military. So they may go in a little bit of a bad guy or unruly guy, but they get in and experience that discipline that they used to experience in the military. I hope they still do. And they come out a better person, a more respectful person, a more lawless, or more lawful, not lawless, a more lawful person because they've experienced that discipline that they experienced in the military. So God has our good in store whenever we experience His discipline. That we will be a better person to bear fruit not for ourselves, but for Him, for His kingdom, right? If God did not care for us, He wouldn't discipline us, right? He just let us go on about our own business, our own demise, dig our own graves, right? Now there's God's affirming love. To affirm means to declare or state positively. To assert and maintain to be true. Well, I'm going to first say God's Word from front to back declares His love. It affirms His love. But let's look back to 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us first and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He affirmed His love by sending His Son. But He also affirms that we ought to love one another. That's the main focus that sinks that that prayerfully sinks into all that hears this word, that we ought to love one another. 
Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 says, there was, again, this is God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in His own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound Himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that He would never change His mind. I'm going to pause for a moment. God will never change His mind. When we come to the end of our days, God's not going to say, sorry, that was all a big joke. I was just kidding. I really didn't save you. No. God's not going to change His mind. He'll stand on His Word. So God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God has affirmed His love towards us. He's not going to change His mind. I think of the story of Jacob and Laban. Jacob made an agreement with Laban that if he worked for him for seven years and I'll give you Rachel to be your wife. So he works for seven years and at the end of seven years, what did Laban do? He gave him Leah. Well, that's not what we bargained for. He tricked him. Well, you work another seven and then I'll give you Rachel. God's not like that. He's going to give us what He's promised. And He's promised life for those who believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has affirmed, affirmed His love. Revelations 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with Me. Open the door of your hearts. Anyone that may hear this message, if you've not opened your heart to God, please open your heart. Receive Him in. Receive His love. Experience Amen. God's love. You'll never be the same. We know the love chapter, don't we? 1 Corinthians 13. It's not going to be on the screen either. Verse 4. My friends, love suffers long and it is kind. Sometimes we don't suffer too long, do we? We're impatient. But love suffers long and it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. It says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these, my friends, is love. Is love. Love will never fail. Will never fail us. God demonstrates His love through each and every one of us. Through His church. Not just this church. Through His church is how He demonstrates His love. How are we doing? I think that kind of sums up the Sabbath school discussion. How are we doing? I can't answer that for you unless I'm on the receiving end of your love. Right? Then I can answer that for you. But how will others, how will those in our lives answer that question about you? Only you can know the answer to that. My friends, let God use you. Let God pour out His love through you. May you be a vessel for God's love to be demonstrated to the world, experienced by the world. Amen. Because God is love, we too ought to love one another. Amen?